All right, yeah, have a seat. It's good to see you, OCC. How are you guys doing today? Man, it is great to see so many people in the room. And we know that some of y'all, this is your first time back with us in a while. And good to see uh, so many of you here with us today. Some of you join us online. And good to have you here with us too. Um, And, you know, I, I love that we have the technology now that no matter where you are, wherever you are, you can OCC, right? You can do church wherever you are. And that's such a cool thing. Uh, so for those who join us online, thanks for joining us. Hey, earlier this year, we heard a lot of talk about this concept of essential business, didn't we? And we even heard a fair amount of debate on this idea of essential business. When the pandemic reached the United States, suddenly all those things that we'd been doing got really limited. And we were told that we were only going to be allowed to do certain things that were essential for our day-to-day living. And then the government officials and our public leaders, in an effort to protect us, told us to stay at home, to distance ourselves from other people, to limit our activity, and to put some space between us and others. Now, that might be a good strategy to try and limit the spread of a virus. But a couple thousand years ago, that was not the strategy. A couple thousand years ago, when Jesus and his followers had a mission to accomplish, it was just the opposite. The essential business for them was not to limit the spread of a virus, but to maximize the spread of the gospel. For Jesus and his followers, it wasn't about trying to keep space between people, but close the space, close the gap between people and God. And that's what Jesus' mission was all about. After his resurrection, Jesus said this. He gave this charge to his followers. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We call that the Great Commission, our great mission that we're on. So here at Oklahoma Christian Church, that's what we're all about. Everything we do is focused on that. And here, the way we say that, the way we sum it up is this, that our essential business is to help everyone find and follow Jesus. We want to help everyone, every single person find and follow Jesus. That's what we're about. So everything we do is filtered through that idea right there. Every sermon we preach, every series that we launch, every small group that we offer, every class that we offer, everything we do with our student ministry, every other organization or ministry that we partner with, every program, every policy, everything we do, every different thing, every hire we make, all that we do here is focused on that endeavor. If it helps people find and follow Jesus, then we'll do it. If not, it doesn't pass the test. That's our essential business. And so that's what we're unpacking in this series, is what it looks like for you and for me to help other people find and follow Jesus, to help people get close to God. And so today, I'm going to introduce you to four guys who got really creative and really ambitious to help narrow the gap between God and their buddy. We're going to read from Mark chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible, you can open that uh, open to it. Uh, if you've got your smart device and you want to follow along on your phone or another smart device, or if you just want to follow along up here, we'll have the scripture for you up here. And we're reading from the New Living Translation. So when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, let's pause right there. Jesus had been out teaching and preaching and healing people. And with all that teaching and preaching and healing, news of what Jesus was doing and who he was was beginning to spread throughout the region. And so when he returned from all that, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was packed. Of course it was. People wanted to find out what's he teaching about, what's he preaching about. 
What's all this healing that he's doing? So the house was packed with visitors and there were so many there that there was no more room, even outside the door. Now this town of Capernaum, this was a small fishing village on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. And the homes there in that town, most homes would have one to two rooms. No house had more than two rooms in it. So the biggest homes had maybe a couple rooms and could house about 50 people at one time. If all those people were crammed in shoulder to shoulder, they're standing real close. You know, if they were doing the social distancing, you get about five or six people in there. But as it was in that day, they, they got about 50 people crammed in if they were doing that. So here's Jesus, right? We got to paint this picture. Jesus is teaching in one of these homes in this small fishing village and everybody is showing up to see him. There's people who are filled in that house and, and Jesus is standing on one side and, and he's teaching and people are, are crammed around the door. They're crammed around the windows. You, you can just picture this in your head. They're, they're craning their neck, trying to see in, standing on their tippity toes, looking over somebody, trying to push the person away in front. People holding up their kids. Hey, get a look at Jesus. What's he talking about? What's he doing? And they're stretching and they're, they're trying to find out what's happening. And they're wanting to see all the excitement, wanting to see all the buzz. And that's the context for what Jesus is doing in this. So we pick it up there. Jesus is teaching. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. But they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Now, some of you, you're really familiar with this story. You've read this several times. You've heard it taught or preached numerous times. Some of you, you might be brand new to this. This might be the first time you're hearing the story. This might be your first time engaging the Bible in a long time, maybe even ever. This might be your first time in church. And if that's the case, we're really glad you're with us. Bring your doubts, bring your questions, but hang with us through this story because I think you're about to see something exciting. Now, for all of you, wherever you are, if this is your first time or you've seen this several times, I'm gonna invite you to find your place in the story, to enter in and allow the story to come alive to you, to, to be awakened for you in a new, fresh way. Imagine yourself in this story. So Jesus is teaching And then these friends show up with their paralyzed friend and the house is packed and they can't get in. To be a paralyzed person, some of you, you may have a friend or a family member. You may even have your own disabilities. And we know like paralysis is a difficult thing to navigate. Being somebody who wrestles with paralysis in this era, 21st century would be tough enough. Think of all the medical technology we have that can assist with that. We have wheelchairs and medical technology and and lift chairs and and zero-entry showers and shower wands to make it easier. But still, you're relying upon other people. You've got to rely on other people to help you just do some of the basic necessities to eat, to drink, to get dressed, transportation, to go places, to go to the bathroom, in some cases even to communicate. And, And... We have a lot of technology to help with that. But think of what it was like back then without any of that. Imagine living in first century without any of that technology, without any of those aids. Imagine how tough it would have been for that paralyzed man. And if you had something like that back then, if you wrestled with a disability like that in that culture in those days, then it was really challenging because other people would justify neglecting you because they would, they would say that your paralysis was tied to something you did wrong or something your parents had done wrong. And, and somehow they would say, even the religious leaders would say, well, that justifies our neglect of you because you're just getting what you deserve. 
And so that would justify, and they said, we can look past that person. We can neglect that person. We don't have to take care of that person. It's that person's fault. So there was a lot of shame and embarrassment and discouragement associated with all kinds of illnesses back then, but especially paralysis. Now, if you've ever dealt with this, you know the challenge. I mean, imagine what it would be for that person, but imagine also to be one of his friends who was helping that person out. And you're going to wear some of that shame, and you're going to wear some of that stigma because you're assisting your friend. And it's not always easy and convenient to be the friend of somebody helping somebody out. My dad, when he was young, he was a record-setting sprinter, a track star. And he wasn't real big in high school, but later on, he put some meat on his bones. And he was a pretty strong dude in his middle ages. I remember growing up and watching my dad swing a hammer and, and, and swing an axe and take down trees. And he was a pretty strong guy. But later in life, my dad dealt with several medical issues that pretty much wrecked his shoulders. He couldn't even have surgery. There was nothing left to do surgery on. It took him to use both hands to be able to take a drink of water. And those medical conditions also rendered one of his legs immobile, for practical purposes paralyzed. So for the last several years of his life, my dad used a walker and pretty much dragged his foot where he'd go. And on several occasions, I assisted my dad with things that years before would have been thoughtless and just easy for him. And then he needed his son to assist him. At times with my family now, we'd take him on vacation with us, or not vacation, we'd take him around town with us, and, and we'd push him places in his wheelchair. Uh, we'd, we'd lift him into the van and, and lift him out of the van and help him get set with his walker. Times when I helped my dad get in and out of chairs, in and out of bed. Sometimes when I helped my dad get, get off the floor after he'd fallen. It, it wasn't easy. It, it wasn't always convenient. It, it was challenging. But imagine what it would have been like for those four men, the friends of the paralyzed man, back in Capernaum. And so here we are in the story. They show up to this house, right? And they couldn't bring their friend to Jesus because the crowd was so big. So instead, they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Because that's what you do, right? <laughs> like, what? So, so right, let's get into this story. You show up, you've been bringing your friend, you arrive at the house, you and your three buddies hauling your fourth buddy on the mat, he's paralyzed, and you show up, and then there's a crowd, and the crowd is like packed in, and there's no, like, hey, excuse me, we need to get through, get, get out of here. Nobody's letting you through that crowd. They want to get close to Jesus. They got their thing they want Jesus to do in their life. And so nobody's letting you through. You can't even see. Your buddy's on a map paralyzed. You can't like lift him up and like show him. Like you're just stuck and you're discouraged and, and you're tired. And you're like, man, that's not what we came for. It's not what I signed up for. Like you got home that night. You're just wanting to, to eat some food, hang with your family a little bit, go to sleep. So you wake up the next day, do it all again. And, and here it is. Like you're, you show up and your buddy's like, hey, can you, this Jesus guy's in town. I, I heard he can heal people. Now, I hate to put you out, but broken. can you give me a lift over there? And so your shoulders are aching. Your arms are tired. Your grip is about gone from carrying this mat. And you're discouraged. And you're just thinking to yourself, man, I love my buddy, but I'm kind of tired of this. Like, I, like if we're honest, this, this is probably what we'd feel, right? Like, man, I just, I don't really want to carry him anymore, anywhere, again. I just want him to be able to be healed. And so you're discouraged and you're thinking, we got to haul him home. And then you look down and you see your buddy and you realize 
He doesn't want that either. He doesn't want you to have to carry him around, turn him around anywhere anymore. The whole point was he wanted to be, but, but he musters up the courage. He looks up at you and the other guys. He's like, guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to wreck your night. Sorry to put you out. Like, I'm, tonight's just, it's, it's obvious. It's not going to work. Like, may, maybe there's a different time. May, maybe a better time. It, I don't know. May, maybe it's not even meant to be. Like, maybe, maybe I'm just supposed to be this way. Maybe they're right. Maybe it really is something I've done, and it's, it's just what I need to face. And you're looking down at your friend, and he's just devastated. And it just, it just hits you in the course. You're like, no, no, that's not right. That's not the way it's going to happen. Like, that's not. Listen, I didn't skip dinner to haul your lazy. You're not lazy because you're not lazy. I didn't haul, hang you, haul you over here because, like, to have it end this way, we're not doing that. No, 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 no. That's not the way the story goes. That's not the way it's going to end. Like, and then it strikes. Like, in a moment of genius creativity, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys, grab the mat. Let's take the stairs onto the roof. Look, dude, the roof, like the evening deck of the house, bro. And you're like, no, no, we're getting them to Jesus. They're like, bro, there's no way. You're like, oh, no, no, not yet. We're going to make a way. Let's go. I'm like, all right. Yeah, so you and your buddies, you haul the guy up onto the stairs and you go up onto the roof. Now, this is this roof, right? This doubles as a deck for, for the owner of the home, just like all the other roofs of that town do. It's a place where the owner goes at night to enjoy the cool breeze of the evening, maybe look up at the stars and have a nice conversation with friends or with family. But you're not out there to hang out that night. It's the heat of the day. Stuff's happening around. And, and this house is like overflowing with people. And so you go to the back of the home. Because you just kind of suspect if Jesus is in there teaching, he's probably teaching at the back and everybody's filled in from there. So let's make our way towards the back. And, and you, you get down and, and you're on the ground. And your buddies are like, bro, what are you doing? And you just start pounding on these tiles. Right, you're like, bam, right, gonna break up these roof tiles, tiles made out of mud and, 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 and straw and, and, and branches. And you're, you start tearing it apart. You didn't bring any tools for this. So you're just, you're just pounding and you're breaking and you're getting your hands in there and you're sweaty at this point. So you're letting your sweat kind of soften some of that dirt and soften those tiles and maybe, you know, get a little mud going. And you start pulling this apart and you're gonna make a way and dig a hole through the roof. Now, I, give him my line of work. I just gotta imagine what it was like for Jesus at this point. And Jesus is teaching. He's got a room full of people. And then there's something going on above his head. All right. We teach through the little bit of ruckus. All right. But then it gets a little louder. And then all of a sudden dirt starts falling in his hair. Like, what's going on? And then a hole appears. It starts small. It gets a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger. Light's kind of shining through the sunlight. This skylight is getting a little bit bigger. And all of a sudden, like, pieces break through and stuff's falling on the floor in front of you. And then, and then there's this hole in the roof, and you get the couple dudes who just peer through. They got these giddy, like, boyish grins on their face. They hit each other like, it's working. And they're like, all of a sudden, the hole gets bigger. And then they disappear. Sunlight, skylight, what's going on? And all of a sudden, a mat appears with a dude wrapped in it, and they lower him down in front of you. Like, what? What do you think Jesus was thinking about? What do you, how do you think he reacted? Like, I just pictured Jesus at that moment. I, I'm guessing he's a pretty good communicator. Everything I've read in the Bible tells me Jesus is a pretty good communicator. But at some point, the best communicator knows when the distraction becomes too much, you just stop. You, you just don't try to teach through that. So at some point, I think Jesus just paused. And he looks up. These guys peer in. They got this boy's grin. I think Jesus probably grinned back at him. It's like, give it up. Let's see what happens. This 
first thing gets lowered down in front of them. I, I think Jesus, I think Jesus just smiled on this. Now imagine what it's like for the person who owned that house. Because he's watching a whole, like, like this guy, he starts out, he's, he's invited Jesus to hang in his home. Like that's pretty cool. Jesus is hanging out and he's like, this is my house. I got Jesus, the healer. He's here. Check this out. His house is packed. All these people have come over. They're, they're chilling. They're, they're listening to Jesus. It's the thing. He's just standing on the sideline like, yeah, this is taking place in my place. And then that happens. <laughs> he's looking at this skylight he didn't budget for. And he's like, what is happening to my house? What are these dudes doing? Watching the dirt fall, watching his roof get destroyed. Now, if you have ever hosted small group, especially one with kids, you can sympathize with this guy. If you have ever hosted a student ministry gathering at your place, you know what this dude's going through at some level. When I was in high school, and, and I came to Jesus in high school, so when I started out going to student ministry stuff, I, I was that kid. And when I was in high school, there was this family that regularly opened their home to the boys in the student ministry. I say boys because the girls didn't want to hang out with, with us because we were rowdy and obnoxious. But regularly, these people were repairing drywall and fixing broken lights and light switches and outlet sockets and maybe a TV once in a while, and cleaning up spills, fixing the damage we did. What I loved, though, was every time that one of us got baptized or made a decision to move forward in ministry, that those parents, that, that family... They were among the ones who cheered the loudest and celebrated most for us. It's so cool. So, so like, you host a small group or you host the students from the church at your house. Like, normally you're doing some dishes, you're sweeping the floor, you might be cleaning up a spill or even fixing something small that broke. This dude has watched his roof get destroyed with a hole in his ceiling. Like, what's going on? And then this guy comes down through it, laying there in front of Jesus. And Jesus, the healer, shocks everyone. Like he, just, he just does what nobody is anticipating. In that moment, Jesus looks at the guy and seeing their faith. I love that it wasn't just the faith of the paralyzed man. It was the faith of all the other guys. Jesus looks at their faith. And he says to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. What a beautiful thing to hear from the lips of Jesus. This paralyzed man laying on the floor. Your sins, don't worry about them anymore. Now in that moment, it's, it's a little crazy because think of those guys who brought Jesus with them. Brought Jesus with them. Brought the paralyzed buddy with them. Their, their knuckles roughed up and bloody. Their, their arms are just sore and exhausted. They're sweating. They've, they've put so much energy into this. They've just destroyed this roof. They're kind of wondering what their reputation is going to be. They lower their buddy down. And Jesus forgives his sins. <laughs> They're looking on. They've they got to be like, yo, Jesus, that's cool and all, bro. But listen, we're kind of hoping our homie would be walking home with us tonight. Because we don't got a plan to get him back out the roof. Like this hole that we just put him we, no plan to get him back through it. We're pretty exhausted. Like hauling him home is going to be a little bit of work. Um, kind of hoping you'd be up to something different than just, hey, your sins for you. Like what, did we hurt you heal people? What's happening here? And I love that Jesus' first instinct and his first line of work is not to take care of the man's physical. 
but to focus on the man's soul. The first thing Jesus does is restore the man's soul. It doesn't mean Jesus neglects his physical ailment. Like we'll see as the story continues. But the first thing was to restore the man's soul. And that's a really good reminder for us. That for us, our first priority is to help people find and follow Jesus. Now that's not always the first thing we do. But everything we do is focused on this. To get people to this point where they've found Jesus and they're following Jesus. And then they're on mission helping other people do the same. So the whole life matters. We believe in the holistic picture. So to that end, we will be involved in helping heal and restore marriages and relationships. And when finances are out of whack, to help people get right side up with their finances. And when things are all out of whack emotionally, to help people get get healing emotionally, relationally, even physically. So, and we believe God can and does work in all those things. But ultimately, we know. We know that ultimately the best healing, that the healing that matters most to everyone is healing that moves them closer to Jesus. The, the, the work, that the help that we can offer, the most important help is to help people narrow the gap between themselves and the God we serve. So that's our first and greatest priority. Now, all this has taken place. I mean, we go back to that room, and, and then you got these teachers of religious law who were sitting there, and they thought to themselves, what is Jesus saying? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Like, who does he think he is? And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Let's just pause there. They thought to themselves. They didn't say it. They just speak it out loud. They weren't like hitting each other like, what's going on? No, no, they're just faking it. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. They didn't even have to say it. I think we sometimes get this idea that if, if nobody sees us do it, if we don't say it out loud, if we do it in another place, if we go out to Vegas and it happens there, it can just stay there. The problem is God sees it. God always sees it. God is always aware, fully aware. Nothing's hidden from him. We would do well to remember that. So Jesus knows what they're thinking. So he asks them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to tell him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. I love it. The man jumped up. Of course he did, man. He had been paralyzed. He jumped he jumped like Michael Jordan jump. Woo, he's up in the air. He grabbed up his mat and he walked through those stunned onlookers. How do you think he carried himself when he walked out of that house? Walking past all those people who never had the time for him. Walking past all those people who always looked down on him, looked past him, who always distanced themselves from him. He's walking through them like, look what Jesus, Jesus says, I'm all right. My sin's forgiven and I'm able to walk. I think his chest was up. I think his head was high. And he just walks past those stunned onlookers. And then 
Then they were all amazed and they praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Of course they hadn't. And they're standing there, they're sitting there, they're they're looking through the windows and the door and they make way for this guy to walk out. The guy who they wouldn't let walk in or be carried in is now walking out past them. And they're thinking, what did we just witness? What just happened? Who is this Jesus? Man, there's something special about this guy. Then you got this other group of people, the religious elite. They're, They're looking on judgment. Kind of scowling at this thing. Who does Jesus think he is? They were more concerned about what was happening in the house than they were about inviting other people to join them there. They were more concerned about critiquing the way Jesus was doing ministry than they were celebrating the ministry Jesus was doing. And there's a really good lesson in that for us, friends, that if our methods, if our words, if our actions, if our rules, if our behavior, if our judgment, if if our way of doing church does not help other people move closer to God, then we're doing it wrong. And we need to change something. When we get more concerned about the mess being made, about the hole in the ceiling, when we get more concerned about, well, that's not the way we've done it, or that's not the way it should be done. When we get more concerned about all of those things, when we get more concerned about the interruption, and that that wasn't the message Jesus was teaching, and now this person's interrupted his message. When we become more concerned about those things than we are about inviting other people into the house, when we're more concerned about those things than we are with getting our hands dirty and scuffing our knuckles, to help make the mess, to enter into the mess, to invite people to get free from the mess at the feet of Jesus. When we're more concerned about those things, then we've got stuff in our lives that needs to be wrecked and it needs to change. And that's what I love. That's what I love about these four friends of the paralyzed man because those guys are willing to do whatever it took to get their buddy to Jesus. They were willing to do whatever, they were willing to wreck the roof to get their buddy to Jesus. And I love this. Because friends, for us, we, we got to have that same attitude. For us to help everyone find and follow Jesus means we need to be willing to wreck the roof. And that's what we're all about here. We, we want to wreck the roof. That those guys were willing to do whatever was necessary to get their buddy in the presence of Jesus. That's a wreck the roof kind of mentality. How can we do this? How do we get creative? How do we get, well, we're just going to do whatever it takes. And so here, we'll do that. We will get creative and we will get innovative and we'll do whatever it takes. That's why here at Oklahoma Christian Church, we operate by a really simple principle on our staff. That we will do whatever it takes short of sin to help people get closer to Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes. Like as long as it's not sin, we will entertain that as an option if it's going to help move people closer to Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes. We'll get creative. We'll get innovative. If the way we've always done it is no longer getting it done, then we will find new ways to close the gap between people far from God and the God we serve. And and we will have fun doing it. We'll find excitement in it. But we will do whatever it takes to help people find and follow Jesus. So friend, let me ask you, how are you going to wreck the roof for the people in your world? How are you going to wreck the roof for the people in your life? Because that's the attitude these four men had. How far are you willing to go? How creative and resourceful are you willing to get 
to help those in your world move closer to God. For those four men, they were willing to be unconventional. They were willing to be resourceful on behalf of their buddy. They had that do-whatever-it-takes kind of attitude. And the plan seemed crazy and distracting and impractical. What if it doesn't work? What if Jesus doesn't like this? How much is this going to cost? Am I going to have to come back and fix this roof? Am I going to have to pay for this? What's going to happen? What if people laugh at us? What, what if? It, what, what, what if? And they tried it anyway. So perhaps the roof that we need to wreck in our world is our notion of the way things should be done. And we just get, need to get a little more creative with the way things can be done. Maybe we need to move from should and ought to can and maybe. Maybe we need to do a little more dreaming. Maybe we need to wreck our idealistic picture of a happy little church secluded and safe from the world. And we need to invite in a little more mess as we encounter people in the world to help them encounter our Jesus. That those four friends were willing to be interrupted, to change their schedule. You know, they got home that night. They just didn't want to relax. And and their buddy's like, dude, Jesus is in town. I hate to put you out, but can you, can you take me there? And they changed their schedule to help their friend. And they were willing to interrupt Jesus. They climb up on this roof and they're willing to interrupt Jesus. You can just imagine the conversation that was happening on that roof. Like, you know, there was a ringleader in the group. The guy was like, let's get on the roof. Let's tear a hole in the roof. And the other guy's like, um, okay, whatever you say. And they're like talking. They're like, hey, wait a second, bro. What if Jesus doesn't like it? Like, we're going to interrupt Jesus. This place is overflowing with people. All these people. And we're going to interrupt him so that he can focus on one person, on our buddy. Like they're playing this hunch that Jesus is going to welcome the interruption. They're playing this hunch that Jesus would be okay pausing what he's doing for everyone. Because they're playing a hunch that to Jesus, everyone matters to him. And they were right. And do you notice that in the story, we, we don't know what Jesus was teaching. We know he was preaching the word of God, but we don't know what the message was. And that never gets communicated to us. But what becomes the message, what becomes the main point was the interruption, was what was happening. Jesus welcomed this interruption. It became the story to tell. It became the main point. So maybe the roof that needs wrecked in our life is our schedule. Maybe we need to invite in some more interruptions. Maybe we need to welcome the divine interruption and let that become the main point and let that become the main event in our day every once in a while. I'm convinced that all of us regularly have people coming across our path who would benefit from us doing some wreck the roof kind of activity in their life from us reaching out to them and so our first question church when we encounter those people who need some help should not be who can i connect them to who who else can i dish them off to a church or the ministry of this government organization the first question we should ask is god how would you have me help this person and sometimes it might be as a connector to another organization or to the church But sometimes it's just going to be, maybe I need to sit down and have a meal with this person. Maybe I need to weep with this person. Maybe I need to offer this person a place to stay or some clothes to wear or some food to eat. The first question should be, God, what do you have me do? Now, those four friends of the paralyzed guy, they were tired, they were dirty, they were sore. And so maybe the roof that we need to wreck is our convenience and our comfort that those guys put their reputation on the line are we going to be known as the guys who wrecked old pete's roof and interrupted the church service and made everybody upset i don't know maybe let's give it a shot anyway maybe the roof that we need to wreck is our reputation and our inflated idea of what other people think of us 
And maybe we just need to put that on the line. Those guys took some risks. They put some sweat in the game. And they got creative. And they walked away with a story to tell. You know that for the rest of their life, those guys were like, dude, you remember the time we got on a little boy's roof? We, we tore it apart. And we lowered our buddy through the roof to see Jesus. And he walked himself home. Like, what a story to tell. From what story will you tell? How are you going to wreck the roof for other people? How are you going to wreck the roof for other people to help them move closer to Jesus? What story are you going to tell? And, and what story would God have you tell? Who is it that comes to mind right now that you say, man, I, I got some roof wrecking to do? Because we, we could all get real pious. We say, well, you know, if, if God wants to see it happen, he will make it happen, even without me, because he's God and he's sovereign. And maybe, but there's a lot of stuff God wants to see happen that never happens because we don't cooperate with him. And our sin is evidence of that. So it might be that there's somebody who needs you to wreck the roof. And if you don't do it, it might not get done. And even if it does, then you're going to miss out on the blessing. You're going to miss out on the story. You're going to miss out on your part in it that God had you, had scripture for you to play. And so maybe, maybe there's somebody in your role that if you don't make the time, if you don't get the rope and the mat, if you don't shoulder tap a few other friends and recruit some friends and say, hey, come on, we, we got some work to do. If you don't climb up on the roof, if you don't start digging, it might not happen. So church, how will you wreck the roof? And one last question, how will you help OCC wreck the roof? Because I think God has those things for us individually, but I know God has that stuff for us collectively as well. Four guys got together and changed eternity by their creativity, by their willingness, by their do-whatever-it-takes attitude to get their buddy close to Jesus. Four guys changed eternity from one other friend. Every week, we have hundreds of people on this campus, hundreds of people online. Every week, there are thousands of people who interact with this church in person and online. What would happen if not just four, but thousands of people who interact here banded together to say, we're gonna wreck the roof for our community, for the people right next door, for the people down the street, like we know our city is in chaos right now. Racial turmoil. There's, and I got on the news yesterday and all of a sudden I start seeing the, of shootings right here. Like there's stuff happening. What would it look like if this story that was being told was how this church and the people of this church were wrecking the roof in this community to change the trajectory of the people near us? There's this gal named Charlene. I've recently heard of, and Charlene, a while back, she's got this idea that she and her husband should get involved in the foster care program. And she just couldn't stop. Like, God was putting this thing on her heart. So they did this wreck the roof thing by saying, we're going to become foster parents. But, but it didn't stop there. So they met this little girl named Rue, and, and Rue just found a place. This little girl who'd never had a home, who'd never had a long-term home, found a home not just in their house, but in their hearts. And so they said, we, we don't want to just foster. We, we want to adopt. And that's a wreck the roof thing because not a lot of people are going to do that. But it's especially compelling because little Rue is a special needs kid. And a lot of people, like most people, just going to neglect her. But not Charlene and her husband. So, so they adopt this little girl. They, they got this wreck the roof story going for, for Rue, but it didn't stop because they, during the whole process, they became aware of what it's like for the foster kids who carry their entire life in a black trash, plastic trash bag. I think they just haul it in. That's what they got. 
So Charlene meets this other friend and they start this ministry called Ruse Wish. And they're like, we're gonna change the world for these kids. We're gonna provide duffel bags. We're gonna provide Christmas presents. And we're gonna provide better places when they have visitation rights with their parents. And we're gonna make better rooms that aren't like sterile, but they're like fun kid friendly. And not just for the little kids, but for the older ones too. And, and they've got this ministry called Ruse Wish that's just wrecking the roof for these kids in our region for foster care. And what I love is that our church is gonna be partnering with them. In about a month, we're gonna be helping do some some stockings for them. And we're, we're gonna do something. Now, here's the challenge is that because of COVID, it's, it's a little more tricky this year. Things they've done in the past, they can't do now because of the pandemic and because of government organizations. And, and so they're gonna need some help just getting creative and getting resourceful and saying, hey, how do we wreck the roof for those kids? And not just do what we've done before, but how do we do it one up? And church, I'm not just gonna ask. I'm, I'm just gonna expect a yes that we're gonna, we're gonna go wreck the roof for those kids. It's not gonna stop there because we got stuff that's gonna happen at Thanksgiving and we're gonna have stuff that happens at Christmas and we're gonna be doing stuff all year long next year. We're gonna be doing stuff all the time because we wanna be a wreck the roof kind of place because that's who we are because that's the fiber of who we are. For us to help people get close to Jesus, for us to help people find Jesus and begin following Jesus and for them to get on board with that mission and walk beside us to help their friends and their people find and follow Jesus. That means we gotta be a wreck the roof kind of people. And that means you got to be a wreck the roof kind of person. So I want to invite you in. And and here's the beautiful thing. You you know what happens when you wreck the roof? Suddenly you put a skylight in the ceiling and there's no longer a ceiling there. There's no longer a limit. The sky becomes the limit. Like it's limitless what God can do with an individual, with a church that says, we will do that. That's our mission. We're going to help everybody We're going to help everyone find and follow Jesus. And we'll do whatever it takes to that end. So church, I want to invite you to join with me and be an erect the roof kind of person. Let's pray. God, I know I get excited about this and I confess that I'm a dreamer and I'm an optimist. But I am so because I see it in scripture. Because God, I see that that's who you are, that you are the God who forgives sin and you're the God who heals people and you're the God who makes a paralyzed man walk out of a house with his shame gone and his head held high. And you're the kind of God who gives his four buddies a story to tell for the rest of their lives. And God, that's who we wanna be. And so we're gonna see those stories and we're gonna celebrate those stories because we're gonna join with you. And so God, I pray that right now we become a wreck the roof kind of church and not just a church on mission to say, we'll do whatever it takes to help people find and follow you, but we will own that as individuals, that that will be the mission of every single person connected to this church, that we will do whatever it takes in our own lives to help those close to us get close to you. So God, have your way in us, move in us, use us. Give us your spirit, give us your creativity, give us your direction, Lord. We surrender to you and we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.